And I guess what I'm here for is, I mean, you guys as community members and other people out there are like, well, what are these nurses whining about? You know, nurses get paid pretty good, don't they? And why, I mean, what, what do they need? What do they need securities for? And why did they decide to do this? And, you know, um, to those people, I would say, you know, the, the main reason we're doing this is to make everybody in the community's lives better. Um, you're going to get better health care when you have people um, that are there that are happy, that are satisfied, that are certified, that are educated, and um, that enjoy what they do. Hello and welcome to Old Spiral Podcast. Today we have a special episode for everyone. You may have seen the signs around the valley asking you to support St. Joe's nurses, referring to the St. Joseph Regional Medical Center Nurses Union. Well, this week we bring to you a conversation with one of the nurses who is very involved in that nursing union, my brother-in-law, Greg Intel. And Greg has been a surgery nurse at St. Joe's for many years. During his time there, he has seen the hospital change hands time and time again, move from nonprofit to for-profit, changes in leadership, and changes in how the hospital is ran. Now this has affected everything from regularly scheduled pay increases, staffing, the ability to obtain much needed equipment, and ultimately patient care. Greg gives us a good background of how and why the nurses sought out help in forming a union. But, with any luck, this is just part one into a deep dive into what is happening at the largest hospital between Boise and Spokane. We have a few more episodes planned for you down the road to continue this conversation in more detail with more people involved in union negotiations. But until then... Enjoy this episode with Greg, and learn with us how establishing a nursing union in the Valley will provide a better working environment for our nursing staff, the doctors, and ultimately, and hopefully seldomly, you, the patient. Today, we are very excited to have in my brother-in-law, Greg Intel, and today we're going to talk about St. Joseph Regional Medical Center, which is where I was born, where Drew was born, and where Greg Intel was born. Very good. So we're going to talk about the hospital. Greg is a surgery nurse, and so we're going to talk about your nursing experience, and then we're going to talk about the nursing union and get kind of a background on that and what you guys have been up to because I don't think that's very common knowledge. So we're excited to talk to you today. And hello, how was your day? Well, uh, thanks, Brian and Drew, for having uh, us, I say us, as the uh, nursing staff at St. Joe's on the program today. And hopefully maybe in the future we can update you with progress as well. Uh, it was a good day. Um, every day is a good day when you're doing something that you enjoy and uh, taking care of people. I just want to kind of start this podcast out by uh, getting the word out to the community as far as 
um, what is going on at St. Joe's and what we need to do as a nursing staff and maybe just talk a little bit about the history of St. Joe's and how we're at the state that we're at today. Awesome. Cool. We're excited to have you on. Um, so yeah, do you want to give kind of a primer of, of the hospital and then kind of how we, we are, like you said, to the point that we are now? Why don't we start at the very beginning? Like, did yeah. you did Ooh. you look into the, the how uh, did St. Joe's even become a hospital? I like that idea, Brian. Uh, you know, it's... <laughs> It's all over the walls down there at St. Joe's. There's a big history, and uh, I'm kind of a history buff in a sense. At least I always enjoy history. Um, I don't know uh, the specifics as well as as many other people do, but I do stop and ponder uh, those pictures from time to time. Um, My grandma, Pat Grimm, was a nurse forever. She's in many of those pictures. Yes, I've met your grandma, Pat. She's a, she's a phenomenal nurse and figure at the hospital for many years and uh many many people that may listen to this in the future um would recognize her name uh so yeah i mean the sisters of saint joseph i mean they've actually been around since like the 1400s and it started clear back in france and uh they have migrated all over but um made their way to the states and long story short uh Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet um, came about and helped settle the West and form many hospitals, usually under the tutelage of um, a priest where they see a community, see a need, and they'll start a hospital. And in the sense of the Lewis-Clark Valley, Valley, that's exactly what happened for St. Joe's. So, um, and you guys may have some of the facts on this, but started kind of as a just like a small home down on Snake River Avenue. Yeah, three twenty-five Snake River Avenue in nineteen oh two. It was a seven-room hospital. Yeah, uh, and I'm not exactly sure how many uh, sisters. Three sisters. Yeah, three sisters, and they did all the cooking, cleaning, nursing, and they had some amazing names too. I bet. Oh yeah, it was uh, Aurelia Bracken, Angela Heenan. And Dominica Ryan. Yeah. Uh, probably um, some names that will be named uh, in family beginnings after listening to this podcast because who wouldn't want to name their kid Dominica Ryan? Or Aurelia. That's Aurelia. such a great name. <laughs> uh, and then in 1903, I read this is all from the St. Joe's website, so it's not like I really did a deep dive into this. Uh, but in 1903, it was uh, 4.6 acres now at 415 6th Street was deeded by Jesuit Fathers, is what it said. And it was a 50-bed facility, brick, kind of in the same location. So Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was back in the days when the sisters were providing all the care at the bedside. And, I mean, they're doing everything from stoking the fires to keep the hospital warm to... Uh, giving the patients their bed baths and their medications. And, uh, you know, the sisters really helped onboard the nurses. Um, They even started a nursing school. Yeah, 1903. That was the last thing I was going to mention was the year that started. And they, um, they had quite a few nurses come through under their tutelage and ran that school, I mean, I think right up into the 40s or 50s. So, um 
you, that sisters have always been a huge part of the history of St. Joe's and just serving um, the community. And as they like to say, um, offering c- uh, compassionate care to our dear neighbor. Um, and I think that's part of the reason we're here today is to kind of talk about, um, you know, what uh, corporations and changes in healthcare and community mindsets and corporate mindsets, uh, how they can make um, that narrative change slightly. And part of the reason I think that we're here is to kind of talk about uh, why the nurses chose to unionize. Right. And I guess the last thing I wanted to mention, the the last couple things I wrote down here, were the statement of mission, or the mission statement, and the vision, which are listed on the St. Joe's website. And you might know exactly what these say, but the mission statement, uh, which is making communities healthier by continuing the healthy... (laughs) Continuing (laughs) the healing ministry of Jesus. I run a podcast. Um... And then what I thought was more maybe appropriate for this podcast was their vision. This is the vision of St. Joe's Medical Center is it wants to be a place where people choose to come for health care, physicians want to practice, and employees want to work. So I think we'll probably be covering those points later on down the episode, but I just want to start off right off the bat and wonder why my computer's making noises. That is so unprofessional. Um, so, yes, people want, people want to come there for health care, physicians want to practice, and employees want to work. So I guess we can go from there is what made you want to work at St. Joe's in the first place? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, so... Um I have an aunt who's a nurse, talked me into nursing when I was an undergrad at Whitworth College in Spokane. Um, Decided to switch gears a little bit in my education and pursue a nursing degree. Came out and started nursing, and my very first job wasn't the only job offer I had because, as you know, we're in... uh, there's a shortage of healthcare providers in this country, so um, there'll always be jobs for nurses, which is kind of a, a, a boon, but it can also be a negative thing because um, the market can fluctuate so much on stability and pay and things of that nature that help you retain and recruit quality employees. So I uh, started at St. Joe's in July of 2007, and I've been there happily employed and ran uh, a couple different um, jobs throughout that time and worked in uh, different departments. I started on the med surge floor and uh, was able to work there and excel and I felt in 2012 after five years of that that I needed a challenge and needed to kind of reinvent myself and so I decided to go down to the surgery department and learn um, from some of our very bright and uh, genius surgeons and not only the surgeons but anesthetists, uh, anesthesiologists, NPs, PAs, uh, we work with a gamut of ultrasound, rad techs, and the people down there are a fountain of knowledge, and uh, I feel as a 
nurse, um, I have flourished and my education has gone through the roof. I'm constantly learning uh, with technology the way it is. You have to be on your toes and I love what I do. So um, part of what brings me here today uh, to talk to you guys is that I love what I do so much and many of us do. Um, however, we feel that the, um, the narrative of the hospital, the vision of the hospital, if you will, has become skewed, uh, especially in the essence of a place where employees want to work. And I would say that the vast majority of all employees at St. Joe's want the vision to succeed. We want the hospital to be a place that serves the community and puts forth uh, its best face at all times. And we want to see the hospital be a place that's around for many, many years. Um, to get back to the vision and the whole reason why we're doing this podcast is to kind of speak and, and get the narrative out there for the community as to why we decided to unionize. Yeah. And I was hoping right before we jumped into union, maybe we take it back to the sisters of Carondelet because they don't own the hospital today. It's probably changed hands a few times since then. And that's one thing that I didn't look up. I was wondering if you had any more information on uh, yeah, you know, that process. Uh, well, I can definitely speak to that, Brian, just uh, from my experience of f nearly 14 years as an employee there. What I can tell you is um, the Sisters of Crondelay did end up uh, merging with Ascension Health, which is a St. Louis uh, nonprofit Catholic organization. And when I started at St. Joe's, um, Ascension Health was actually still in transition of taking over and integrating their processes. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, many people will hear the word symphony and groan um, because it was... Not just because orchestras are uh, fading <laughs> in popularity. No, I mean, this was uh, trying to make... I mean, and, and the, the thought process was great. And anyways, uh, not to go on a tangent, but Ascension was a nonprofit um, uh, healthcare that is technically the largest nonprofit healthcare, Catholic healthcare organization in the United States of America. And they were um, a conglomerate of merged healthcare systems that were all started by sisters. And so the Sisters of Crondelet actually uh, garnished a board member position on Ascension's board after they merged and acquired um, the Sisters of Crondelet's uh, healthcare hospitals out west. And so to kind of speak to what it was like when I started there in 2007, um, some of the things that, that, for instance, like if, if you sought care as an employee, you know, you had very huge discounts on the care that you had. Um, we had cost of living um, raises every single year that were guaranteed on a certain date. And um, and we, you didn't have a union back then. No, we didn't have a union. And, and many people will tell you. And, you know, I'd, I'd really like to kind of push some of this to uh, when some of my um, comrades are here in the future. Um, as far as the whole right to work state, uh, 
you know, and unions are hard to get into in healthcare and, and they're hard to get into in the state of Idaho. But, you know, we didn't have any problem with that whatsoever because of the culture change that it had, that we're kind of building to in this podcast. And, and so to, to get back to the point where we had retirement matches and those matches were uh, laid out, you know, paycheck to paycheck and the conditions in which we worked, the resources that we had at our disposal, um, they, they were good as far as an employee was concerned um, on a on a weekly basis. Staffing was great, and I'm not saying that staffing's terrible now. I would certainly say that we are understaffed, and we need to retain and recruit quality nurses, and that is. Uh, primary goal of getting a contract and we are in currently in negotiations for that contract and this podcast will hopefully explain uh, maybe some upcoming events that will be going on and then the community will kind of understand why we're here and why are we talking about this so it seems like before the union was started it's kind of like, I suppose if you held an anti-union position and you held a right-to-work position, it's kind of like the goal that you would be shooting for. Like, you don't need unions if the culture's good and the employees are provided for and you're getting cost-of-living raises. And if you're an employee at a hospital and say you have a baby, because you did probably around 2010, 2011. Yeah, you know, that was, that was kind of some of the things that... Uh, you know, benefits of being a hospital employee and seeking care at a at a place of work, you you were you were guaranteed, you know, discounts, things of that nature. Now, you know, if you worked for a company that's like uh, Apple, for instance, where you know you get free daycare and you're getting great benefits and pay, you know, people would be crazy to try to form a union there. So right. obviously, that tells you the state of things. Um, where we were headed and and to get back to uh the story uh, about watching what's happened in my tenure as an employee there um we decided to uh as a as a community um not the nurses but uh the board um at st joe's had many meetings and and this was something that is very publicized. I mean, you can read articles about it in the Tribune or any other uh, online resource. But we uh, decided that maybe being part of Ascension, where we were just one of 90 hospitals that got treated like a 120-bed facility on the East Coast. Which, what? how's that different? So, like... What's a 120-bed hospital on the East Coast different from our 120-bed-ish Yeah, hospital? Brian, that's a great question. I mean, you know, at, at we're a level 3 trauma center, and um, at one point in time, I do believe we were level 2, or we were trying to attain a level 2 trauma status, and that was um, right, you know, right around the time I started and right before that. Uh, but we, we offered care that that hospitals back east that are this size just just don't offer you know they'd be considered more of a community access which community access hospitals are fantastic and they serve communities that are more rural um we're a smaller 
facility if we were back where there's a larger population. We wouldn't have services like uh, a mental health inpatient unit. We wouldn't have services like cardiac catheterization, and we wouldn't have two neurosurgeons um, on call around the clock, and we wouldn't have the capacity to treat and stabilize patients um, if we were this size back east. So I think part of the reason we decided as a board and as a hospital to go away was we kind of wanted the ability to more govern ourselves. And you heard me mention um, the word symphony earlier. And that, that was really just their way of saying we want to standardize supplies across um, our facilities. And um, not just that, but, you know, streamline uh, all the important things that need to be streamlined, such as um, charting, radiographs, how do we, um, you know, dictate transcription, everything across the board. And I can say that that didn't entirely happen. And uh, there were people that were very upset with that because, you know, providers want things to be, um, they want to be able to take care of people and continue to take care of people and not be hassled with, well, we're just going to add this one little thing to your daily routine. It should only take you an extra 16 seconds. Well, you know, the more you say that to a healthcare provider, and, and I'm talking specifically about, um, you know, physicians who ultimately take the most uh, responsibility and who bring us in the most business. They are also our clients. Um, you know, nobody... N- right down to the CNAs on the floor and the people who are cleaning the hospital want to add multiple steps. Uh, you know, if they're safety protocols, that's very important, but it was just, it wasn't going that way. So if we were able to govern ourselves or at least have a little bit more say in what's going on and how we get those resources so we can treat people that are coming in with head injuries and traumas and things of that nature, then, um, Obviously, uh, it's going to benefit our community a lot better, and we won't have to be waiting on as many supplies. So, um, that that uh, I think in 2015 is when July of 2015 is when the they announced Ascension and the board at St. Joe's announced, "Hey, we're going to sell you guys to a for-profit organization called Capella," and it took almost two full years of us transitioning, which um, when you're in a transition phase like that, they freeze your capital expenditures, which means we only got emergency funds from Ascension during that time. Oh, for two years? Nearly two years. Um, so it was, I believe, March uh, 21st, 2017, somewhere around there is when the attorney general for the state of Idaho said, hey, guess what? I'm going to okay this move forward for um, Ascension to sell St. Joe's Regional Medical Center to, um, at the time, it was now called uh, RCCH. And that was basically um, a merger that happened right after they announced they were going to sell us to Capella. And... It basically was Capella and another company um, that merged, and they had about, I think, 13 to 18 hospitals. They're all regional medical centers, and the idea was each of these regional medical centers uh, mostly were in the southeast, and then there was 
uh, St. Joe's and Capitol in Olympia, Washington, and Willamette in McMinnville, Oregon. And what they wanted us to do is run ourselves. We know our communities. We know our patients. We know the needs better than anybody else because we've been the ones that take care of it. And as long as we're uh, profitable, they weren't going to interfere and they weren't going to uh, That sounds interrupt. really reasonable. Yeah. And so, so, let's, so it went to Ascension which was a non-for-profit Catholic organization. <clears throat> and then they they sold you to, or they sold St. Joe's to Capella, which then merged with RCCH. Yeah. All right, that was complicated. I just wanted to make sure I was tracking. Well, and it gets more complicated, Ryan. <clears throat> great. And I appreciate you doing this <laughs> podcast. I mean, you guys have put together a great list of and then, uh, questions. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it... It, it does get more complicated because as companies merge, priorities merge, and companies get larger. And um, I do feel that when you have um, less ability to um, kind of take care of your own needs as a medical center and you're um, seeing changes made from the other side of the country, it can tend to... Uh, be detrimental to a community. Oh, that is rough because it it sounded like a good idea. They wanted to let you govern yourselves. You know, you guys know what you need. Um, that sounds great, but I'm guessing that's not exactly what happened. Well, yeah, and and uh, again, I'm giving you the nursing healthcare side of the story. So obviously, I have some bias, but I'm gonna just say that right up front. When you have Two, nearly two years of frozen capital and you don't have as many things at your uh, fingertips, you may not be as profitable. And for the first time in the history of St. Joe's, we had a year, you know, where we lost money. And so what happened right after RCCH took over, and you guys may have heard about this, but they fired 70 people and that was in 2017 and they call it a rift. And I'll tell you what that does for a facility. Um, Wait, they fired how many people? 70 people uh, were let go um, or offered, uh, you know, set packages to retire early. And I think what happens when you do that is you lose a lot of very gifted minds and you lose a lot of morale among the staff because... These are people you've worked with for a long time. Now, some of them, don't get me wrong, some of them were happy to retire and, and to leave. So the numbers may sound worse than they are, but uh, throughout the course of time, many more people in the last couple of years have also been outsourced or their departments have been downsized or eliminated completely. And that has caused... Um, more of the issue of uh, decreased morale and it and it only hurts the community as far as jobs that St. Joe's can offer people and it hurts the community as far as the care that they receive because you're coming into um, you're coming into a place where you want to trust that everything from the bill that you receive in the mail to the gifted hands of the surgeon, 
that's taking care of you and the tender touch of the CNA, the nurse, um, you know, the pharmacist that mix your medications is all done genuinely and the people love what they do. And that, that's where we want to get back to as a, as a, as a healthcare facility. So, um, with that in mind, it tells you where we must have gone to form this union, right? Yeah, and you, you've painted this picture of kind of bureaucratic bloat and sort of promises that were broken. Um, and it equals shortcomings not only for, like you said, you at, as staff at the hospital, but for our communities who rely on this healthcare facility. Um, and, and those, like you said, that have had their jobs outsourced or downsized or whatever it may be. So we get to the point now where it's where you guys have this union. And, you know, I've seen a lot about it and just like billboards or driving by people's houses and they have those little yard sides in front of their house that say we support St. Joe's. So what is the union? When does it start? You know, what is your guys' goal in, in, in making this union um, happen? And what, what are you guys trying to accomplish? Uh, thank you, Drew. Um, you know, I, yes, that's part of the reason we want to do this podcast. We want to point people to your guys's um, podcast and and have the narrative out there. Uh, and hopefully, you know, I can get some other guys in here that can tell the story in future podcasts um, as well and far better than I can. But to to explain all those signs that you see, the billboards that you see, you know, you might see people walking around with t-shirts. Um, it started small. Uh, a group of people got together in early 2018 and, you know, we decided, let's talk about this um, union thing. And to be perfectly honest with you guys uh, I've worked with plenty of um, people throughout the years who have left the organization who are very good caregivers very talented RNs who work elsewhere now and many of them had said this conversation that we're having together this evening uh, with me in those years leading up to 2018 why don't we get a union in here um, you know we we're losing rights as uh, caregivers and our staffing's getting worse or, and you know, staffing always ebbs and flows, but you know, when you start taking benefits away from people and it's harder for them to justify coming to work and doing more for the people that we serve for far less money and compensation, Ultimately, you cannot retain those gifted uh, caregivers that, quite frankly, are talented enough to find another job super easy. Mm. And, and other hospitals are happy to hire those people because we do a lot of things that maybe some other hospitals don't do um, or we do the same. And so it's an easy transition. And when you go to these places and you're immediately rewarded with an exponential raise um it it gets to become public knowledge pretty quick because uh, there's many of us that um talk to these people and you can look up many of the um wage scales of the surrounding areas hospitals uh and see 
the significant difference in pay and years of service that St. Joe's offers. Um, so that being said, we got to kind of hit the brakes and, and go back and talk a little bit about uh, union because I'm, I'm going to get off on a tangent talking about wage. And that's something that I'd like to talk about uh, a little bit later on in the segment. But um, to go back to the union thing uh, and how we got there, um, we decided, you know, let's meet with someone, anyone that would be willing to help represent us and take us on and negotiate a contract for us because, you know, what happens is you talk to all these people and, you know, you, you even talk to to surgeons and um, even some of the directors and they, they'd come down and they'd hear this talk about union once we'd already kind of chose a union. Um, and they're like, well, wouldn't it just be so much easier if just a group of you got together and, and went and just hashed out some of these issues and bargained, you know, and some of the people that I, I, uh, I adore the most, you know, recommended that. And it's like, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's easier to go behind a closed door with your director or somebody and ask for an individual raise if you are performing above uh, market value but collectively when you have the disparity that we had um, the whole entire uh, workforce is behind and you know we voted in the union overwhelmingly by a landslide and uh, so to, to uh, skip back again and rewind, this is like starting to turn into a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> um, we, uh, we, we called a hospital in northern Idaho, which was the only hospital that anybody had ever heard of that's represented um, by a union because, as we mentioned, Idaho's a right-to-work state. And it was uh, Bonner in Sandpoint, Idaho. And they were represented by the Teamsters, uh, Local 690 out of Spokane, Washington. And we got a hold of those gentlemen up there and asked them to come meet with us. And, you know, they came down and very openly and honestly explained what, what it would take to go from a first meeting to getting... Th- 300 nurses, uh, work staff, uh, working staff of that size. Um, granted, we're not that big uh, at the moment because we are, uh, we're hiring <laughs> to say uh, why we're not that big. Um, but to get that many people on board and to form a union and uh, what what it would take um, commitment-wise and time-wise, you know. And I think realistically everybody that was at that meeting looked around and said, you know, why don't we talk to some people and, and put some feelers out? And with overwhelming support, uh, people started to kind of pour in and want to hear more about what the union could do. I mean, you guys, we could talk about this all day, uh, what unions have, have done for this country to, you know, uh, give us weekends and breaks and medical leave act and all the things that we take for granted with PTO and EIB and 
we did an episode a while back that talked about a union in Lewiston. It was like the Bricklayers Union. Very and they cool. introduced what the eight-hour workday. Yep. First eight-hour workday in Idaho or something, mm-hmm. or America or whatever. I don't know what it was. One of yeah. those. Yeah, it's in. Uh, <clears throat> first and favorites. It's in I think. yeah Branting's book, First and Favorites of of Lewiston, or is it of Idaho or Lewiston? Lewiston, firsts of Lewiston. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yes, unions are great. They introduced eight-hour workday, week, just like you were saying. Yeah, I mean, and the Valley is a very uh, union-strong place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the points um, were made quite easily for us um, when we started meeting and growing our group and – you know, spouses of nurses are coming that that are in unions, uh, fellow unions, and they're so supportive. And many of these people are the people that are seeking care in our community, um, that support the hospital, that support our jobs. And, you know, we were thankful to hear their support. I mean, there's I, I can't even begin to tell you how many unions there are in town. There's a ton. Um, I'm in a union. Yeah, you are, Brian. Yeah. I got a job, everybody. Congratulations we'll talk about that later. on the new job. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, and, and you know what? Everybody I talk to that is has been in a union, that pays their dues, um, or that has retired from a union is union strong. And, you know, that's that's something that comes with a sense of pride and, and ownership in what you do. And so... Uh, to continue the narrative, um, it grew. Uh, we voted, and we decided to um, take this uh, forward after a um, just kind of spreading word of mouth. And of course, the hospital got word of it, and they thought it would be a good idea to bring in some union busters and and try to persuade us not to form a union because um, they didn't think that that would be good for patient care um, for obvious reasons. Um, but if you guys want me to elaborate... <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. definitely. Yeah, what are those reasons? It okay. sounds like patient care is one of the reasons you guys wanted to start exactly. a union in the first place. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the hospital, um, if they have to negotiate wages... Um, if they have to negotiate um, shifts, if they have to set terms in a contract with us as a group, then it then means that all these other groups, and and let me just uh, rewind. When we first met with the Teamsters, we were not the only group present uh, as RN staff that was interested in unionizing. There was a couple other departments that were there present, and the Teamsters explained to us that um, we, under the healthcare divisions and the the laws of how unions are represented, um, we couldn't all belong to the same union. Okay, yeah, so, I wasn't sure about that. I wasn't sure if the union ex- like extended its reach to all wings of the hospital or if it was just nurses. And, you know, we would love, we'd love to have, you know, all of our techs and, and all of our LPNs, CNAs, environmental care uh, services and kitchen staff. I mean, everybody that works at the hospital, pharmacy. Now, granted, they can all unionize. 
they can all form their own uh, unions and their own chapters and become their own bargaining units. They just we were the first group that decided we need to push this forward. And as the largest group, it tells the hospital, well, guess what? If we set forward into a contract with these people, we're going to have to subsequently then have to bargain with everybody else that unionizes afterwards. So in, in a sense, um, what's going on currently is we're, we're in negotiations, um, and we'll, we'll skip back to how we got um, – to form our union, um, but negotiations, um, they have, they started about this time last year, 2019. It was our very first, uh, bargaining session and they've been ongoing, uh, throughout this whole time. And I think one of your questions drew was, uh, how has COVID impacted, um, well, a lot of things, healthcare and, and we can talk about that, but, as far as how it's impacted negotiations, it, di- it did put a pause on it for some time, which set us back. Um, but we aren't gaining a lot of ground. And they would like to see, they're, they're willing to give us a contract. Uh, LifePoint is the corporation that owns us now. And I guess we need to go back and explain how LifePoint uh came to be and we'll we'll get to that in a minute if you remind me but um they're they're bargaining with us and they see this opportunity um since it is a negotiation to to give us a contract but to take things away from us even more than they already have throughout all of these um, mergers that have taken place where we have lost uh, wages and uh, benefits. So it, it, to them, they see it as let's give them a contract and make it uh, a terrible one so that nobody else wants to unionize. Oh, yeah, that's that's okay. So, so, if that so pan- when they get to the point where they're, they're sending in union busters to try to prevent you guys from moving forward, what, did they give any sort of reasons as to why they moved away from that self-governance model that you guys were told was going to be the case um, and why they can't continue to do that without you guys going further with the union? Yeah, Drew, that that's a fantastic point, and I, I did skip over that, and I'm guilty of that at times, so I appreciate you guys keeping me in line. Um so yeah, we were with RCCH, and um, with RCCH, we were able we we were able to um, self govern, and you know we we had we were one of the first hospitals to ever leave Ascension, and we took a hospital with us, our sister hospital in Pasco, Washington, called Lords, and so Lords and and St. Joe's were out here on their own trying to figure out um you know how do we how do we together uh standardize our processes and i feel that we we made giant strides in doing that but at the same time um we're now a for-profit model we're not um not no longer non-profit with ascension and we were we were able to retain our status as a healthcare organization that's sponsored by the Catholic Church um, 
through uh, the bishop in uh, Boise, Idaho. And I think that's important to, to talk about because um, the mission and the values as you go to a for-profit organization, especially as healthcare providers that are providing care for people, um, you, you see it laid out in front of you every day because the narrative in your reports switches from, hey, uh, how can we um, how can we emphasize more safety and more patient satisfaction to how can we eliminate how long this process takes us and how can we essentially save a few dollars here and there? Well, and before you guys went to a for-profit model, St. Joe's had no problem making money as a business, right? No, St. Joe's has always been very profitable. So then at least with understand. my time there. So um, moving forward in the RCCH conversation, we decided um, to merge with a corporation. And when I'm saying we, I'm saying RCCH and LifePoint, uh, which is based in Brentwood, Tennessee, they merged. And so what that means to all you people out listening in the community is now we are back to a hospital network that is roughly the same size, if not larger than Ascension was, with 100 hospitals across the country forming four different divisions. And we're now a for-profit organization instead of a non-profit organization. So all of the key conversations that healthcare providers um, don't want to have with each other where you're, you, you want to talk about taking care of people have now shifted to how do we make money? And, you know, I, I'll admit, I didn't come into this uh, profession to, to talk about that on a daily basis. You know, it's important. Absolutely. We need business. We need patience. We, we absolutely want you to come seek care because we have so many talented and compassionate caregivers, uh, that work with us, you know, how, however, um, I came into this to, to take care of people and, and to make a good living for my family and, uh, hopefully make a difference along the way. And so, um, I think most people that I've worked with throughout the years uh, would say they came into it for the same reason and to, is to help people, but to also make a, a living. And um, that's certainly important when you're retaining and trying to recruit people. And uh, currently, uh, the state of things, um, you know, morale is not great um there are jobs posted and um they're not being filled and and you can you can uh speculate it's because of covid it's um you know we're, we're looking for health care providers on every front including surgeons we've lost some surgeons in the valley uh recently and um you know that takes business away from the hospital because care providers are the ones that bring us patients um the physicians the surgeons um and if you had to speculate on why we've lost surgeons over the past few years oh i could tell you some stories 
Um, I guess what I really want to know more about, too, is, is how they thought that not forming, let's say, forming a union would worsen patient care. I, that still is kind of like, kind of mind-blowing. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick break to tell you about our new Patreon account. That's right, OSP fans, you can now directly help us fund this show and get access to exclusive content. For more information and to learn how you can support the show, head to patreon.com slash oldspiralpodcast. Now back to the show. It seems to me like... You guys had great patient care. You were you were a great hospital. You always turned a profit, and it the hospital changed hands a number of times. Changes were made as far as staffing, and I understand that there's some difficulties when you're changing hands. That yeah, you didn't have all the freedom to spend the money that you wanted to right off the bat. But it seems like you, before all the changing hands occurred, you had a good system going. Sure, it could have been improved here and there, but the fact that they say, no, you guys want to start a union that's going to worsen patient care is kind of beyond me. And also, what the heck is a union buster? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Basically, a union buster, um, you can look them up. There, it's really ironic because a union buster is a contracted employee. So they get paid to come out and tell you that unions are not a good thing. And essentially what we're trying to accomplish with a union is to garnish a contract with the hospital that gives us a sense of security as employees because um, – And what does that look like? Is that the, like – is they, are they just like an employee that comes in and like tries to be incognito or are they straight up wearing an anti-union – like union oh, with a they, line? They dress, they dress uh, just like um, any other employee. They get a name tag from the hospital that says uh, they're an employee and they go around and, and att- attend meetings because they actually had – town hall meetings where our own CEO told us about uh, he, he felt that we should not unionize and he then opened the discussion up and introduced um, this gentleman I can't believe his or I can't remember his last name his name was Bill uh, something and, and you know there's there's people that I can I want to get in on these uh future podcasts about this topic that will have <laughs> so much more data, uh, hard data. But these these people basically, uh, they tell you what union promises are and how you potentially could garnish nothing because it is a negotiation. Um, and so negotiation, that's kind of the way LifePoint's treating this right now is, hey, you guys chose to do this. And... Uh, and you're in this contract dispute and these negotiations, and if you happen to lose something because of it, um, well, then that's your fault for voting them in. And and I guess what I'm here for is, I mean, you guys as community members and other people out there are like, well, what are these nurses whining about? You know, nurses get paid pretty good, don't they? And why, I mean, what what do they need? What do they need securities for, and why did they decide to do this? And you know, um, to those people, I would say, you know, the the main reason we're doing this is to 
make everybody in the community's lives better. Um, you're going to get better health care when you have people um, that are there that are happy, that are satisfied, that are certified, that are educated, and um, that enjoy what they do. And uh, that's quite frankly the end goal of this. And to answer your questions, Brian, uh, I do not feel that healthcare um, has decreased in a sense of quality. I think the people that are there are going above and beyond. And I feel that what the people are hanging on to is um, this idea that if we get that contract and get securities that we will be able to hopefully recruit some more uh, employees, not not just nursing staff, but other employees as well, because we want to improve the reputation. Because throughout this, um, there has been um, some back and forth that's gone on in the media. And, you know, quite frankly, that's something that I, I don't appro- I don't want to badmouth my employer. I I want to see my employer be here for a long time, and obviously we we all want to take care of people and and see this thing through and succeed. So, um, what does it do for the employer as far as why they think it would be a bad thing? It's a big expenditure. Um, you know, you're talking about nearly 300 people that you have to sit down, negotiate with, and or for, and in in the cases. Uh, Drew, you and I kind of touched on this at the break is we're not asking um, for them to bend over backwards and and recreate uh, anything. We're we're asking for what we have currently with um, some standards that show guaranteed uh, cost of living raises for guaranteed negotiable amounts. And we want you know, things that most companies offer like 401k matches, not something that says, well, we might give it to you this year. We'll see how, how we do, you know, and that's the for-profit mantra as far as my experience has gone, uh, working for St. Joe's since we've gone for-profit. And it's, it's disheartening when you used to get, you know, uh, a guaranteed retirement match that would come in the sense of every paycheck uh, versus they hang on to it all year long. And then at the end of July, they say, uh, guess what, guys, we're going to we're going to give you a part of what you did. We got before yeah. or, well, we did. OK, we're going to give it to you this year, but it's only a one time deposit and and that type of stuff is is not just happening in the benefit and wage arenas where our healthcare premiums have gone up uh, you know and as healthcare providers you'd expect um, you'd have some of the best healthcare insurance out there but you know many many uh, employers in the valley hear about how much it costs us to obtain care at our own facility and they laugh because their bills are so much smaller and and I guess I'm getting off topic, but what I'd like to touch on as far as um, process changes and some of the things that have led us to um, unionize, um, outsourcing, um, downgrading of services, and putting more work on the frontline staff has become a common theme for this corporation, LifePoint. Um we have seen um, 
some of our services uh, in the ER um, change and some jobs have gone away. We had uh, CI, they took away the CITs, which technically these were individuals that uh, could help with um, mental health stays. If somebody is, uh, is going to be a detriment to themselves or others, they're going to cause themselves harm. You know, they could do these intake admissions and, and help the, the nursing staff in the ER that's taking care of people that are coming in um, with all sorts of triage difficulties. Um, they took those people away, and now those nurses over there are doing those intakes, which, are they fully capable? Yes, we're fully capable. Does it take a very long time? Yeah, on average, 45 to 55 minutes, and that's time away from other patients that may be critically ill. Um, just to save a little bit of money. Well, and let me tell you, the staffing has not improved. So when they take resources away and staffing stays the same, you can imagine what that does for your daily workload and what it does for patient care. So to move forward on some other topics, I mean, our nighttime pharmacists have, have gone away. I mean, there's hours during the night where there is no pharmacy, and we used to have pharmacy around the clock. So when you have nurses who are now mixing drips uh, and medications in the middle of the night, and they may be in the ICU, in the ER, they may be uh, in a trauma in the operating room and you have a nurse running to grab medications and mix something that takes away from a critical piece uh, that that surgeon needed them for something else, um, that impacts patient care. And not only does it impact patient care and put more work on the, on the nursing staff for no reward, it eliminated other jobs that were here at the hospital. And that's become more of a common theme uh, in other industries as well. But, you know, we're seeing every uh, aspect of employee at the hospital starting to get outsourced. Um, so their paychecks come from other uh, pr other areas now. And um, their employer has a different uh, name on it on their check, but they're still doing the same job. And unfortunately, sometimes that new employer may not have as good of benefits and may not pay as well as St. Joe's did. Um, and I think part of that is they see our group of RNs as a bargaining unit that if we do garnish a, a contract that's um, desirable, then many of the other groups in the hospital are going to want to unionize as well. And uh, obviously, we, they'd be entitled to everything that we are entitled to. So it benefits the whole hospital. If, if, we, get, if we get a contract and um, we have some securities and we have some guarantees from the employer that um, they want to keep, uh, keep employees happy, the other departments of the hospital will uh, benefit as well. And, and we have over a 1,000 employees at St. Joe's Regional Medical Center. We're one of the largest employers in the Valley, and we hope to you know, gain more ground and expand our lines of service, and um, that can only happen if you have employees. Yeah, and you know, cost of living raises are one thing, important things. Right. But if you're someone who's working year after year, you're hopefully getting better at your job, and you should be compensated as such. I mean, if you're working, you know, three five years and you're not getting raises, it's like, hey, I'm I'm getting better at this. You know, 
can I see that I'm getting better at this on my paycheck? Maybe. Yeah. It's it seems reasonable to me. Yeah, I don't it's know. not out of the out of the realm of normal. Scheduled raises are pretty common, right? I mean, it doesn't have places. to be a lot. Just you know, twenty five cents, mm. fifty cents here and there. And just, I feel like you know. As we get more and more influx of people coming from out of state to move here that are going to drive up property values, cost of living raises are going to become more and more important. Yeah. You know, in just this summer, uh, a couple blocks over from me, there were five houses that went up for sale and five of them were purchased sight unseen by people from California. And they're going to bring with them more money and their property values are going to go up. Right. And and like you were saying, it's not like you're asking for a ton. You're just asking for enough to incentivize talented people to come and work at the hospital, provide good care for the community, and, and keep them here. Mm-hmm. That's all it sounds like you want. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, to kind of touch on, on that point a little bit, uh, a contract uh, means a lot to... To the RNs, but it means a lot to the community as well. I mean, when you're negotiating things um, right down to uh, certification pay, I mean, currently I can tell you right now as an employee, if I get certified in an area, which I am certified in the operating room, I get paid an extra dollar an hour. So that's incentive for me to go out and obtain further education and to... Uh, want to provide better care to my patients. And there are many nurses that go out and obtain certifications in uh, or multiple certifications. And as long as they are within the realm of the area of care that they provide, St. Joe's currently honors three certifications uh, per nurse. Well, in our negotiation process, LifePoint now only wants to pay us for one certification. So you can imagine, as a hospital that boasts about being a platform for education, and uh, we, you know we, we serve everybody from uh, CNA students, paramedic students that come in, um, and uh, nursing students, PAs, med students, all do rotations at St. Joe's. And to send that message back to the staff that, well, you know, we we want you to do a good job. We want to pay you what we want to pay you. And, and quite frankly, what we've been paying you for your education, your certifications, you're not really worth it. We're only going to pay you for one of those. It puts a sour taste in, in many of our our mouths, you know, and we, we go home uh, – to our families at the end of the day, just like anybody else. And, you know, we, we want our hard work to be rewarded. And so, as you guys know, I mean, education is, is very important in, in any line of work, but especially in healthcare, you got to keep up with the times. And if you're going to go above and beyond, um, surveys have shown, studies have shown that uh, patients who received care from certified nurses had better care, they were happier with their care. And Studies have come back that um, certified nurses are uh, are better at what they do, and um, so you know that that's just one example of a negotiation process and and where we're at with this company um, and why we feel the community kind of needs to get behind uh, our cause and and help support the nurses. Um, and the other healthcare providers that are on our side uh, and moving forward with 
um, these contract talks. I mean, obviously, I, I can't speak to exact uh, numbers, but um, I can tell you that because of our current state of negotiations, we're, we're not seeing movement, and they haven't honored um, their cost of living raises over the past two years, which our union would obviously have no problem um, if if the company decided, hey, you know, you guys, we're still making money as a corporation, and, right. and we should probably honor these cost of living raises as feeble as they may be. Well, uh, the union would not balk at that and say, no, absolutely not. You can't reward our nurses for that. Um, so, I mean, th- that's typically some of the things we're dealing with and, and why it's hard for us to recruit new nurses uh, at the at the time being and uh, why we are um, trying to get this story out to the public. I guess a couple of things that I would want to know is, first off, I mean, if I'm sick and in the hospital, I would like a happy nurse. You know, I don't want a nurse ratchet. Yeah. And a certified nurse, right? And a certified nurse, sure, but I want a happy nurse. I want a nurse who's doing their job because they enjoy it and they enjoy the company they're working with. And I want to kind of know, do you have any idea how many nurses are in favor of the union? Is it overwhelming? Is it? Uh, is it not? I mean... You know, Brian, that's an excellent question. And it kind of speaks to the state of where we are right now. Can I speak to exact numbers on this day? I can't. Now, I do have some friends in the union and some of my coworkers. They could probably give you to the T exact numbers on those. But oh, nice. um, I can tell you uh, right right now, we won the election that was put on by the National Labor Board by an overwhelming uh support of yes votes for the union to represent us. I mean, it was over 80% uh, when they counted all the votes. Um, so the uh, the general um, idea is that we need some help in that front, and the Teamsters have been great to us. The Teamsters do not get paid a dime uh to come down and help negotiate this contract from from anything as far as uh dues from us until we ink a contract with the employer um and everybody that comes in in this in this unit this first unit as represented by the teamsters there's no initiation fees um it the dues just start once the contract is uh is inked and and so I mean, these guys have been, uh, they've been great. They've been uh, very supportive and they've been uh, very reasonable in, de- in their dealings with the hospital, uh, true class acts. And uh, when things could become ugly, I think we've, uh, we've held to higher ground because we care about people and we want to care and we care about the reputation of the hospital as well. So to that end, with all that in mind, what would keep somebody that's of the nursing staff St. Joe's from joining or wanting to join the union? Okay. Um, you know, I've had some conversations with uh, very few of my coworkers that 
maybe I would say have been against the idea of the union from the start or that we're on the fence. Um, and I think it kind of boils down to uh, the dues thing, you know. And I think what their hesitation would be is uh, that, you know, if if I have to pay dues, it's more money out of my pocket. But if we garnish a contract where you are getting paid better, it's a small percentage. Or if we get a contract where you have guaranteed things like cost of living raises, then I think dues are a small drop in the hat. Um, the other rumors uh, that are out there, and I call them rumors because it's the same thing as the union busters coming in and saying, oh, the Teamsters are all mobsters, you know. Uh, you know, back in the day when unions were formed, you had to go out with your billy clubs into the streets and you had to break a few legs, you know. But those, Jimmy Hoffa. And yeah, I mean, those days are, uh, they're long gone and, and these guys, all of their salaries are, you know, online and you can see what they're getting, getting paid to come, uh, right. represent us. And, um, but what, what I would say to that rumor that, that, you know, union, uh, teams, teamsters or mobsters with the union busters is, I would also say it's a rumor that people say that uh, unions form a culture of laziness. And I think what they're saying there is because I have union securities that I am entitled to steps of discipline. And I've learned a lot about Weingarten rights. I've learned a lot about um, steps of discipline. I've learned a lot about... Uh, negotiation process just from my friends and let me tell you i am no expert on any of these matters i'm not even on the negotiating team for st joe's i'm just yeah. an employee that favors the union but what i can i can tell you is if the employer it crosses their t's and dots their i's it's actually easier for them to discipline and to obtain documentation that could um terminate discipline uh, or suspend uh, employees that are a detriment to patient care. And so that is part of what we're trying to establish a, a culture of safety and a, and a culture of satisfaction amongst the employees and, and all the providers that work at St. Joe's. Cool. Um, so, do you feel at all that maybe people feel like if they do this union thing, they're going to have a target on their back? Is there any sort of well the discussion of that? That's a if good, it doesn't work out. That's a good question, Drew. Um, you know, uh, the union has already been voted in; it is approved. Mm -hmm. So, we we are a union. Like we're a union that's um, in negotiations. What we don't currently have is a contract. You know, the, the union is, is there, so we have rights and we have representation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if you've never done anything wrong in your job, Drew, and all of a sudden um, you're getting disciplined for something that you think is arbitrary, you know, you would now have representation. You could, you could bring in someone and, and say, hey, I, 
I feel like this conversation is going somewhere I'm uncomfortable with and it may lead to my discipline or I'd rather have my union representative here during this conversation. So in a way, that's part of the reason, one of the reasons uh, I support this. And, you know, I've always, as an employee, felt like I've gone above and beyond and uh, and um, I don't really have any blemishes to speak of and and I don't know many people that do um, and we're not just looking for warm bodies there at the hospital as uh, as employees we're looking for people that want to go above and beyond and I think the people that are still there that support this union and that love the hospital and the community um, are not scared there's no targets on their backs at all as far as uh, can I get terminated this next shift? No. Now, does the employer has they have they identified people that are pro union? I mean, absolutely. That's that's part of the whole organizing and campaigning and 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 everybody knows who's pro union and but I don't I don't think we're fearful as a group. I think we are concerned that we're not getting anywhere in our negotiation process mm-hmm. and it's being drug out intentionally to uh, potentially weaken our numbers while they outsource jobs um, and get less mouths to feed, so to say. And I think it's also, for obvious reasons, being drug out because the it's seen as a big expenditure where the longer they delay it, the longer they don't have to worry about it. Right. Well, and we hope that this podcast serves as a platform to buoy the support of, of you guys and what you're doing because... I mean, I'm speaking for Brian here, but I think he's in, would be in agreement that what you guys Hell are doing is, 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 <laughs> is mandatory, right? For us to continue we need to have a, a quality healthcare uh, facility like St. Joe's in our in our area that so many depend on. Like you said, all these outlying communities just here in the LC Valley, we we all depend on it. I'll uh, allow it this time. <laughs> and one of the things that's that's definitely has to do with that is you mentioned earlier. Um, that, and maybe this was a conversation we've had outside of this, but that there's things that you guys need as a hospital and, uh, to order in, I don't know, get supplies in. And when you went through the changing of hands, you could, you, you, you were limited on the amount of money you could spend. Yeah. Um, maybe you could give some examples to what I'm talking so about. Zach, but would a union fix you guys being able to order the supplies that you need to well, run a good hospital? Like how would that help that issue? You know what I'm talking about, right? I do. Help and me and I'll touch on that uh, kind of different um different subjects there in a sense. Uh so that's a two-part question but i know part of those resources that were limited what i was talking about earlier on this podcast were we were in a transition period um capital was frozen at that time so we were in emergency purchases only and that was when we were with uh, transitioning from ascension to rcch um has that gotten better i would say that life point is um, allowing us, I mean, we're not obviously we 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 get capital purchases now, and, and we have made upgrades to the hospital. When we sold, there was fifty-seven million dollars allocated from Ascension um, to be 
spent in uh, investments in the facility and the structure um, of the hospital itself. Uh, and we've uh, built a second cath lab. We're getting a new MRI machine. We have uh, obtained new equipment in the operating room. We have a Da Vinci robot. We have a brand new neuromicroscope. We have okay. So it sounds like all that was kind of um, over and done with once LifePoint got up. Yeah. The, the The problem that that is there is not that LifePoint's not allowing us capital expenditures. It's the time that it takes to approve um, needs and. Uh, to answer your question on whether the union can help with that or not, um, they can't. They can. I and, guess it depends on negotiations ex- and contracts. Well, and I'll ex- I'll explain that in just a second. Um, the, when I talk about the time that it takes, um, for instance, if they don't feel that it's necessarily a warranted need, um, and when I say they, I mean Brentwood, Tennessee. You know, LifePoint is a company that, um, at least from what I've seen so far, um, they have managed us from afar. And I think it's back to a similar situation where um, they have so many hospitals and there's so much to manage. They want to streamline processes, which makes sense across um, all their hospitals, you know, make everybody's uh, pay dates the same and, and, you know, whatever it might be. And that is absolutely, it makes sense. But when you have pieces of equipment that are breaking down and you're getting in loaners and you can't get them replaced and then the loaners go away as a staff, we see that as a detriment to patient care. And so when we say, Hey, uh, we need this piece of equipment replaced and they say, well, we'll think about it. That doesn't go over so well. And and I can give you an example of how the union has helped us with that. I mean, and this is, uh, I'm nerding out on some surgery stuff right here, but we have some suction <laughs> machines that really help. Um, they help basically their, their turbo suction machines uh, and they help with patient care. And I'm not gonna go into exactly how or why, but they help eliminate. We'll bi- take your word for we, it. They help eliminate biohazardous exposure to the employees, to the surgeons, to the patients. And when they, the models that we had, were no longer serviceable, the hospital said, "Well, you have house suction. That's good enough. So, you know, do this surgery and carry those 13 canisters full of, uh, you know, biohazardous material down the hall and try not to spill them." And, you know, and this decision's coming from Brentwood, Tennessee. Well, essentially, yes, because you have you have your uh, directors and your chain of command and your uh, officers, your O team that, you know, they all have the best interests of the hospital um, in mind. But if it doesn't make sense to them fiscally at the moment to just replace them, they need to see a cost analysis, why it's beneficial. And you know, we have surgeons beating down the doors. We have staff beating down the doors and saying, hey, we need these back. But in order to upgrade, we're going to have to spend this much money. Well, we filed a charge with the union and said we've always had them. And 
you know, you're, you've decided not to replace them and it's a detriment to patient care. It's a detriment to time and energy spent on the staff and you need to maintain status quo. So bring them back. Mm. And guess what? That was a charge that was upheld by the National Labor Board and they did um, replace some of those pieces of equipment. It, but the amount of time that it took and the amount of time it takes for anything, it seems as though we've uh, reinvented the wheel and we're back to some of the same problems that we, as a, as a uh, facility, decided back when the board said we should leave Ascension, we're back to square one. And, and, I'm, and that's just one of a few examples. Yeah, and I'm hearing that from, from many of my coworkers and from care providers I work with that, that uh, take care of patients. And, and that's a problem that, I mean, it's, it's something that if we were able to govern ourselves, then maybe it wouldn't be so bad. And I'm not necessarily saying that LifePoint is a bad corporation. I'm just saying that we've seen changes that we've become more of a major market for-profit organization and everything takes more time and it takes away from patient care. And so there's pros and cons on both sides. Okay. So it really gets down to the matter of processes like you were talking about before. And, and it's not that you can't sort of do these things or go without these instruments, but it certainly makes your life easier when you have them and it ends up making it better for the patients that you care for. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's the, the main, the main thing here is, uh, you know, we have, we have healthcare providers that have ailments just like the people that we care for. And there's certain, um, conditions that we work under that, I mean, if, if there's resources that are making our jobs easier, we feel as a group, our, our union that they shouldn't be, uh, taken away from us without, a voice without our securities and and yes the union can uh help us with with those because it gives us a little bit more of a voice um when it comes to uh safety satisfaction um recruitment retention the issues that matter to us and the issues that matter to the care of the people of this community so and yeah, I just I one last time I'd like to hit upon we all want to see what's best for the community. We want St. Joe's to succeed. We want LifePoint to be a great ownership company of St. Joe's. And it all comes back to patient care and everyone that works at St. Joe's is a part of our community. So we want them to be happy, we want them to be taken care of so that they can take care of the community members at the hospital. Yeah. And I think that's what your goal is. Yeah, I mean, that, I I came on with you guys, uh, appreciate the invite, but uh, main reason is just to ensure that the word um, for the current state of where we're at um, as a hospital with negotiations is out there. And, and I hope that you guys would be gracious enough to have me and a couple of my friends back and we can. Yeah. I don't know if anybody picked up on our hints. That uh, this is going to be a multi-parter. Yeah. But. You know, I, I'm like, as I said, I'm not part of the negotiating uh, team. Um, but I feel like this is just a good um, introductory as to, uh, some of the key issues that we're dealing with. And I know I've rambled on a lot. It's my first podcast. So I appreciate you guys, uh, allowing me to do that as I, uh, get long winded, but, um, moving forward. Yes. Uh, 
St. Joe's is a key cog, uh, an employer and a, a keystone to the community that, you know, we, we all want to see um, do the right thing by its employees and by its patients. So um, once again, thanks for having me on and uh, let's do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. This episode of the show is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much to all of you for supporting the show. If you would like to become a Patreon subscriber, head over to patreon.com slash oldspiralpodcast. That's going to do it for this week, but the shows are not over. Get caught up on the backlog of episodes if you haven't already, and thanks for listening.